Welcome to the Aspen Chapel podcast with Nicholas and Heather Vesey. So reading from The Heart of Sufism by Hazrat Inyat Khan. Rumi respectfully listened to the words of Shami Tabriz, who said, All things which seem of importance, what are they? on the day that you depart. What is rank? What is power? What is position? A far greater problem is what will go with you. For the solution of that problem, what will go with you, will lead you to eternity. The problems of this world You may solve them and solve them, yet they're never finished. What have you understood about God, about man? What relationship have you found between man and God? If you worship God, why do you worship him? What is limitation? What is perfection? And how can one seek it? After this conversation, Rumi realized that it's not learning, but living the knowledge that counts. It's not learning, but living the knowledge that counts. For he'd read much and he'd thought much, but he suddenly saw that what was important was not saying, but being. Now today is April the 18th. The word April comes from the Latin word apirere, which means to open, which is very apt at this moment as we are reopening the chapel and much of life around us seems to be opening up. It was originally thought to refer to flowers and buds in spring. But I think this year it's even more apposite. As we come out of the effects of the pandemic, it seems an invitation to open our eyes, open our minds, open our ears, our hearts, our souls, once again, to enjoy life. And I think that reading from Rumi Uh, is really good advice. The temptation is to try to spend our lives solving problems, the problems of the world, the problems of our country, the problems of our community, of our families, the problems of our own personal lives, right down even to the problem of our spirituality. We want to learn how to solve these problems so we can get on Well, to the next problem, and then the next problem to solve, and then the next and the next, so that when we actually come to the time when we have to die, it then becomes yet another problem that we have to solve, to die. How do we die? And so we die having sort of solved all these problems, but not really enjoying our lives. After this conversation, Rumi realized that it was not learning, but living the knowledge that counts. For he'd read much and he'd thought much, but suddenly he saw that what was important was not saying, 
but being. We spend so much of our time learning that we forget that it's in the living that the joy is found. Not talking about things, but being. And as we come out of the pandemic way of being, this year of being cloistered, we can begin to open up in different ways, to begin to live in a different way and to focus on the joy that's at the centre of things rather than the problems that need to be solved. Of course, we'll still have our pain and our problems. They don't go away. However, it's in the work of the mind that we have to put our focus if we're going to shift out of that solving problem mentality. Our mind thinks that it can solve the problems of the world, to solve all the problems that come our way. Or at least it thinks that it can prepare us for those problems. Our mind thinks it can create scenarios that will enable us to be more prepared when we finally have to meet our problems. And most of our waking life is taken up by making these preparations, by working out how to solve the issues that we think will confront us. The idea of living the knowledge rather than learning, I think it really comes down to our senses, comes down to our awareness, to our consciousness, to that present moment Heather was talking about, rather than our minds learning how to work things out. It assumes that knowledge, that being in the present moment, assumes that knowledge will come to us in our experience of the present moment, rather than being something we have to re rehearse in our minds. As Jesus said, he said, don't worry about what you have to say or how to say it. At that time, it will be given to you what to say. That was when he was just about to go and his disciples were saying, what are we all going to do? He said, don't worry about what you're going to say when they confront you. You don't have to work it out. It'll come to you. So this April opening of our eyes, our minds, our hearts and our souls is an opening to what comes to us in that present moment, rather than living in our thoughts, preparing us for what will come to us in the future. And as we open to the newness of these things post-pandemic, we can choose, if we want to, to be in a different way. We can choose that we're going to enjoy our lives now, rather than wait for a time when we can plan to enjoy our lives like planning for your retirement, only to drop dead the moment you finish working. That joy comes to us when we appreciate the things that are right in front of us, the gathering, these people here, the people around us, the people at home, the feelings that we have, the thoughts that are in our minds. We have to accept be prepared to accept the discipline of the present moment as it comes to us, rather than simply run riot in the freedom of our minds. Now, of course, this idea of being in the present moment, of, of taking joy from what comes to us, it's almost such a cliche that we discount it the moment that we hear it again. But the discipline it requires 
is such a high state that most of it, most of us just see it as an idea and dismiss it as being a good idea, but impractical. We know how we live our lives, all of us. We know the way we think and we know the way we behave and nothing's really going to change that. And there's this barrier that we have to confront. You know, to make this change from saying to being, from learning to living the knowledge requires a change in behavior that takes such a discipline that we immediately discount it as being impossible. What it takes is an awareness of thought, of mindfulness, that will enable us to discount the thinking process and take our attention into the experience of being what's going on, you know, into the experience of what's happening. But by living in that experience of being, what we do is come face to face, if we can do it, with the joy that's at the centre of life, the joy of really becoming one with life through living the knowledge rather than just trying to learn about it. And that joy, with that joy, there is still suffering and pain. It doesn't depend on us just feeling nice. Our commitment to living in that present moment means that we often take the path of pain and don't try and differentiate what feels nice and what doesn't feel nice. And I know again, here's where I lose you because it's so ingrained in us that of course we want to feel good and not feel bad. And when the idea that we might choose the path of pain, you know, the idea is really, in a sense, not worth considering. Why would you? But if you think about it, you can't make yourself feel good all the time. That path of pain does show up, whatever you do to try and keep it at bay. And this idea of not saying but being, this idea of radical acceptance, simply allows the pain to come when it comes rather than trying to put it off by solving problems that we think brings the pain to us. Solving problems doesn't stop pain. It just puts on pause and gives us a hope that we can prepare for that pain when it does come our way. But why not just accept it now and live a life of joy that includes pain? As it says, you know, of Jesus in Hebrews, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the joy of living the knowledge rather than learning. And all of us have spent so much time in our lives learning that we end up living out the living. We look at the, pre we look at the theories of it, we look at all, everything that might be, but that's different from living. In practice, it's really having to focus on how we are upheld in the present moment rather than working it out, of being the knowledge rather than thinking it. And as we open up again, as we come into this space, as we meet people again for the first time, as we go into shops, as we go into restaurants, onto planes and trains, as we talk and eat and touch one another, we have a chance to change our way of being like no other. We can actually possibly make a difference. The chance of coming out of our minds 
and into our bodies, into our hearts, into our senses, and trusting that the knowledge that we receive in these moments of presence will be of far greater value than anything that we can work out in our minds. I think this is what it means, living the knowledge rather than learning it. Our coalface for mining that knowledge comes in our moment of living rather than in the schemes and the plans that we can, our minds can think up. Do you know, over the last few months, I've had personally to confront various issues related to my job here, to our relationships, relationships I've got with people here, to our family situation uh, of living abroad, uh, my children, our finances, even our housing. And you know, like most people, the worry list is pretty extensive. And it seemed at times that it was going to be overwhelming. But you know, it was swimming that did it for me. I swim at the ark. And you can book lanes there. It's very well organized. I swim a thousand yards at a time. That's 40 laps, 20 there and back. And you know, when you go swimming, your body is pretty occupied. And of course, you naturally go into thinking. I would try and work out what I needed to do to come up with plans and schemes to think about how this or that was happening and what I could do about it. And then I began as I was swimming to realize that I was completely supported by the water in the pool. The water was holding me as I was going backwards and forwards. And I began to realize that what was important was not my thinking about everything, but the feel of the water, the strokes I was making, the number of laps I was on. You have to keep count when you're, when you're swimming. If you lose track, you don't know where you are. You don't know when to stop. And gradually over the days, you know, I came out of my mind and just focused on the swimming, the feel on my body, the, the lap number I was on, the smell, the sounds. And suddenly, you know, I did drop out of my mind and saw that it was okay, whatever happened to me. And that just like the water was holding me up in the pool, I was upheld in my life. And I didn't need to worry about what was happening because I would know what to do and what to say when it arrived. And you know, that changed things for me. I still had ideas, but they came to me rather than me worrying them into existence. I was no longer plagued with difficult feelings. When they came, I acknowledged them. I allowed them to be there while letting go of the thoughts that brought them into being. I followed the path of pain when it came. I forgave the source of the pain and loved instead and moved on, dwelling on the feeling rather than that which was causing me the pain. And so I emerged into the sunlit uplands of joy and realized that it was in my power as to where I was to live. In the dark, overhung with problems and issues, or in the open with whatever the weather was bringing me at that time, knowing I was going to be okay, but willing to have the pain when it came and the pleasure when it came, 
all underpinned with the joy that came from my commitment to that present moment. Now, of course, I blip in and out of this, but I know that when dark thoughts come, I won't dwell on them, but I'll acknowledge them and move on. I still have arguments. I occasionally raise my voice to my children and worry about the situation here, but I know that joy is my priority. And I keep myself on a very short leash. And you know, meditation does help with this. You practice not being in your mind. And as usual, I want to urge you just to keep developing your meditation practice. Like with anything, practice is a demonstration of love. So if you love something, be it an instrument or art or a sport or a way of being, then you practice it. That is the path to true happiness. And we'll talk a little bit about that more next week. Rumi respectfully listened to the words of Shamsi Tabraz, who said, all things which seem of importance, what are they on the day that you depart? What is rank? What is power? What is position? A far greater problem is what will go with you, for the solution of that problem will lead you to eternity. The problems of this world, you may solve them and solve them, yet they're never finished. What have you understood about God? What have you understood about man? What relationship have you found between God and man? What will go with you when you die? What solution for you leads to eternity? It's all about our willingness and ability to live in that sacrament of the present moment. Sacramentum, the Latin word for holy oath, actually. It's also holy mystery sacrament, but it's holy oath, sacramentum. That is the word for holy oath. It's an oath that is needed to keep us in the eternity of the present moment. An oath, an oath is a decision to go. That's the definition of an oath. It is a decision to go. Like that painting on the bulletin. That painting is the Oath of the Haratii by David. There were three warriors who were willing to sacrifice their lives for the good of Rome. And you can see their relations. <laughs> the effect it has on their relations. All the relations are swooning. The wives are going, help. No, but these people made that oath. It was a decision to go. Warriors who are willing to sacrifice their lives. We have to be willing to sacrifice the freedom of our minds. We have to be willing to sacrifice the freedom of our minds for the joy of living in the present moment. This not only gives us the joy that's the center of all life, but also we sacrifice the freedom of our minds to give our hearts to those around us. We give our hearts to those around us when we sacrifice our minds. The oath is the decision to go on that path. And it takes a constant mindfulness to keep on that path. It is the oath of the beginner's mind. The decision of the meditator to stay with each breath. To remain in our hearts rather than our heads. Without that oath, we are just hanging in the wind, 
our minds blown by every crisis that comes our way. So I ask you, and this is the end, so you can relax. I ask you to take some time this week to reflect on your opening, your coming back into the world, and make the decision to move from your mind to your heart, move from worry to joy, and see how your life transforms. Thank you. We're going to have a little bit more music for you to be with, and then after that, Heather's going to say our prayers. But, but I do think that, you know, when we spend so much of our time, and I know it's such a cliche in our minds, that really we forget to enjoy ourselves. We forget that's the purpose of, of being here, is to, is to experience that joy that comes only when we touch the, the eternal in that present moment, I think. Yeah, I was struck by your line about um, when Jesus died, that, that it, was the, it was for the joy that was set before him that enabled him to go through all of that awfulness. Yes. And that, that right within, right inside of our experiences and our pain and our losses, like whenever anything, you know, mini deaths and losses, are, we can be absolutely sure that right there is where we can be met and experience that joy. Like joy and, joy and loss, joy and pain, joy and grief, they go together. Yes. And, you know, I think, you know, it's like, it's like being in love. You know, w- when you're in love, you know, there is pain in being in love. But, you know, you're just grateful to be in love. And I think this idea is about being in love with life. If you could actually fall in love with life, and, you know, how does one fall in love with life? That, that is it. That's the question. And what, what we're all trying to do in this is to fall in love with life. So that actually suddenly the whole nature of being, and I, and I think what happens when you fall in love is you, 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 you become one person almost. You know, you, you experience a, a total oneness in that. And it's the same thing when you fall in love with life, I think. You fall in love, you become that oneness with life, I think. Another thing related to that that I was thinking of was um, I think we fall in love with life when we're, when we're correctly aligned inside. Yes. So, so really our, our mission in life is to, to notice what throws us off or, or what discombobulates and, and, to just, and to come back. This is why practice is so important, just to keep coming back to that inner alignment. I mean, in the olden days, we used that horrible word sin, didn't we? But, which is unhelpful. But Someone that, say sin? <laughs> sin but, in the aspect but really, No, but when you think of yeah, it, yeah. it throws, you, throws you off, and it's all really about alignment. And well, that old traditional uh, 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 definition of sin is missing the mark, uh, which, is, which is about alignment. I think you're absolutely right. And yeah. that's why we're, in a sense, calling this service committed living, because it is, the, it is having that commitment to being in the present moment rather than the commitment to being in your mind and to worrying. And when, you, when, you, when, you, when you're committed to being in that moment, then the moment you find yourself worrying, you think, no, I'm actually going to bring it back. I am going to, that oath, that beginner's mind, I'm going to bring it back. The other thing that I'm really interested in is that I feel like in, in committed living and in wanting to be aligned and wanting to live the, the fullest, most abundant life that we're yeah. always going on about, um, is I'm curious if this is other people's experience. M- my sense is that we can't really spiritually grow very much as in, on our own as isolated individuals. It's, it's so much with a, um, an awareness 
and consideration of each other and of community. And as we, as we navigate our way through life, I think our alignment is, is um, related to, to the whole, to, the, to everyone. And I just think that's a helpful tip. Yes. And that's why it's so nice to have people back in the chapel. Look, if you're sitting at home in your pyjamas, we're missing you. With your, I know you haven't got your cup of coffee, but come next week and uh, let's see if you can gradually fill up. Because I think having a community here makes so much difference. So, you know, let your pyjamas go and next week come in. Good. And nobody in here has got their pyjamas on. He's in turn. So listen, we're going we're gonna to look. I've, I've got a little poem, again, from Rumi, which I thought worked with this. This is from Rumi's uh, Book of Hours. And it's a very short poem, and it works to this idea that I think about, about being in that moment. He's talking about God here. Only in our doing can we grasp you. Only with our hands can we illuminate you. The mind is but a visitor. It thinks us out of our world. Each mind fabricates itself. We sense its limits for we've made them. And just when we would flee them, you come and make yourself an offering. I don't want to think a place for you. Speak to me from everywhere. Your gospel can be comprehended without looking for its source. When I go towards you, it is with my whole life. Good old Rumi. Good old Thanks for listening. If you feel moved to make a donation to the chapel, please go to aspenchapel.org. Thank you. And if you'd like to receive these podcasts regularly, subscribe to the Aspen Chapel through Apple, Google Play, YouTube, or any other outlet.